Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Today's sermon is about a life that brings pleasure to God, a life that's holy and loving, and we are to be encouraged by the prospect of being reunited with those that we love and with the Lord. The way that um, this sermon fits into the logic of 1 Thessalonians is really important. So if you'd like to turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians, I'll just recap a little bit of what Andrew and I have been trying to do in this series together. Our topic today of a life that pleases God in chapter 4 fits in as follows. In 1 Thessalonians 1, we notice that Christians are those who are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are people, chapter 1, 5, who have been thoroughly converted by the gospel that comes with power, with the Holy Spirit, deep conviction, and with role modelling by Christian leaders. And because Christians are in God the Father, in Jesus Christ, soundly converted, then they are prompted to do the hard yards of love. And we see this in 1.1.3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance. And because of this deep relationship with God, deep conversion, deep works of love, therefore this church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is, as it says in verse 7, you became a model for all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. And the Lord's message rings out through these Christians. They're like a trumpet blast to everyone in the region who turns to listen and to see them, okay? So that's a role model church. And then last week, Andrew spoke about role model leaders who are appropriate to role model church. And role model leaders are, chapter 210 was the core of this. Um, They are people who live before the vision of God. So you um, are witnesses and so is God of a holy, righteous and blameless life. That's what role model leadership is about. It's a life that's morally pure. It's holy. It's a life that's righteous. It does the right thing by other people. And it's blameless. Um, It can never be blamed for putting obstacles in the way of other people or corrupting other people. So on the back of being a role model church and role model leadership, then we have in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says... We instructed you to live in order to please God. And what's going to follow is about a life that is pleasing to God. A life that's pleasing to God is a life of which God approves, a life in which God delights. And we see in the Bible that God approves of certain things. He delights in certain things. Certain things make him happy. We can think back to creation. Proverbs 8 tells us that God delights. He's pleased in making human beings. We see in the life of Jesus. Jesus is filled with joy at the mission of his disciples as they go out preaching the kingdom and healing people. And we also read that the kingdom of God in this world is the kingdom of peace, righteousness and joy in the spirit. So there are some things that bring God joy and delight and he's pleased with certain things. Sometimes we forget about this aspect of God You know, he's a vital living God, God the Trinity. 
and he takes pleasure in Christians who live certain ways. And there are two ways that are pointed out here in our passage. The first one has to do with holiness, and that's the burden of um, chapter 4, verses 3 to 8. And then love, which is the burden of verses 9 and following. So what pleases God is a God of lo- is a life for his disciples, which is a life of holiness and of love. No surprise, God is light and love himself. So when we embody his characteristics as images of God, images of Christ, then God is pleased with us. And what's nice about what Paul has to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is that we have some concrete examples of what it is to live a holy life that pleases God and what it is to live a loving life that pleases God. So we're going to look at that now. The important thing is that um, what follows is from God himself. It's not arbitrary. Because as Paul says, um, he wants to urge people more and more to do what they're doing. You know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So it's by the authority of God that people are commanded to live lives that please God. So it's not something you can take it or leave it. It's important. It's not like like I was at the gym this morning and everybody's kind of watching their favourite influencer videos to keep them motivated for their workout. It's not like that at all. You can't choose your influencer here and the lifestyle that goes with it. It's from God, so you go with that. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, verse 3. So it's about what God wills, the good God who knows the best for human flourishing, who's made us for righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit. He knows how we should live. And the first point that's made here is that you should be sanctified, that you should be set apart for God as his own possession. And as those who are set apart, you grow into the qualities that are appropriate for his set apart people. God is holy and he commands us to be holy. So we are set apart for God as holy and we need to grow in this. And the concern here that Paul has has to do with sexual immorality and how we use our bodies. He says in verse 3, It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So here's the contrast. If you live in a way that's oriented towards pleasing God, you will control your body and live in a holy and honourable way. The contrast is not knowing God, not living to please him, and therefore living in passionate lust, not in control. But this is where the damage is done. If you're living in passionate lust, you're not going to live in a way that is holy and honourable across multiple senses. You're not going to live a holy life as in moral purity with respect to other people. And you're not going to honour them with the dignity that's proper to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not going to live a life that's morally pure and honourable with respect to yourself. You're not giving yourself the honour that is proper to someone who's adopted as God's child. And neither are you honouring the great God who made you and whose child you are. What happens when we live in sexual immorality, and by that we mean sexual relations outside of marriage, is the following. 
in verse 6 that you're wronging someone and you're taking advantage of them. And the way that it works here and the sense of the words is with the wronging, it means transgressing. With your body, there are places, spaces, kinds of relationships where you should not go, where there are proper boundaries in place, and it's not okay for you to go there. That's the wronging. And the taking advantage, that's the manipulating. That's the trickery. That's the grooming that goes on. Don't transgress. Don't use all your capacities to manipulate people so you can use them for yourself. Don't consume people and live in dishonourable and immoral ways. If that's not bad enough, thinking about the damage you do to yourself, to the other, and your relationship with God, what Paul does here is he affirms in the second half of 6b, 6, how serious this is. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins. If you take advantage of people sexually and you use your body in ways that transgress and you manipulate others to get sexual relations that aren't appropriate for you, God's coming after you. And if there's one you don't want to mess with, it's him. So... If pleasing God isn't enough of a motivation, if healthy relationships and being a healthy person aren't enough of a, of a uh, motivation for you, well, look out. God is the great God and we lose sight of how great this one is. The one who thunders over, si over Sinai, the one who calls all things into being. The Lord punishes and says no to sexual immorality. So be warned is what Paul's saying here. And then there's a reminder. God didn't call us to be impure. So live up to your identity, okay? You are a child of God. You've been, you've been set apart to be his. Live up to your identity and remember this holy life to which you've been called, in verse 9 as it says, 8 as it says, is one to which God enables you to live through his Holy Spirit. So don't reject the teaching because it's not human teaching, but it's God's teaching. But the very God who calls you to this gives you the Holy Spirit. The good God who commands good things so that you might please him enables you to do good things. As part of conversion, God heals our will so that we can choose those things that deep down we want. It's a process. God also heals our vision, our mind, so that we begin to see things as they really are. We begin to see other human beings as worthy of honourable treatment, that they're precious. And we begin to see that it's great to treat other people nicely. That pleases God. That's great. A new perspective on people. Of course I wouldn't use someone to get like a sexual pleasure like that. They're a human being. So as God heals our will and our perspective, 
then we can grow into this life, the sanctified life, the life that is proper to those that are holy. Now, let me assure you that if you have fallen into sexual immorality, if you confess your sins and you repent and are committed to turning away from that, there is forgiveness for you. There is grace. However, for the Christian, if you are committed to persevering in sexual sin, beware. That's the big message. So now we turn from holiness to love, about loving one another. And beginning in verse 9, Paul's very confident about these Thessalonians, which is great. It's great to read about people who do, who do great as Christians. You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And Paul says, I don't really need to write you about this. But there is this one thing. He says, and this is a great encouragement to introverts, lead a quiet life. <laughs> I'm just joking. Don't worry, Emma, you're still welcome. Come one day, okay. You're all right. You don't, you don't need to give up on being an extrovert here. What does Paul mean by lead a quiet life and work with your hands? Well, let's turn to 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, and let, let's find out a little bit more about what's going on, just to settle Mike Bird. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are, they are not busy. They are busy bodies. So that helps us explain and understand a lot of what's going on. The quiet life here is the life that doesn't meddle in a busybody way in someone else's life. Th that's what Paul's getting at here. Don't be disruptive. Don't be in people's faces in a way that is inappropriate. You know what? With that time where you'd be in other people's business, work hard. Don't be idle. Contribute to the good of those around you by working hard. So that's it. And that's a form of love. How we work, our commitment to our work, and our respect for one another, and once again, this is about boundaries, means that we don't get into others' business in an unnecessary way. So live a quiet life, work with your hand, and see this, so that your life might win the respect of outsiders. This is a role model church with role model leaders and with role model Christians in their daily life. They're modelling a different kind of life. They're modelling a life where the intention is to please God. And as we live that holy and loving life, we're going to do good things that are in turn going to point back to God. Our lives are different. We're Christians. 
So you are a living witness to God. And then there's an encouragement. On top of pleasing God, living a holy and loving life, there's an encouragement. That we're to look forward to a reunion with those who have lived these exemplary lives among us. Paul says in verse 17, he's talking about Jesus returning, that those Christians who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with Christians from the past who've already died and we're going to be reunited with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to give us, as he says in verse 18, something to encourage us. We've been encouraged to please God with our lives. There's some detail about holiness and loving each other in the everyday. But then there's also an encouragement, a vision forward. I'll tell you one person I'm looking forward to meet. That's my grandma, Enid was her name. And she's now buried at St. Silas in, in Borwin. She was a, um, a single mom, a, a deep Christian, and she was known for driving people all over the place, especially to church on Sunday mornings. Because in her generation, not everybody drove and she could barely see over the dashboard anyway, probably shouldn't have driven. It was kind of dangerous. Um, literally had phone books on the seat. Um, and she would pick up a whole lot of Christians, take them to church and all that kind of stuff. She was really great. The thing is, she, she died uh, when I was only 19. And I remember when she died, it was a huge tragedy. She was kind of the saint of the family. She, she'd been just such a great example to us all. And I remember she died at Boxer Hospital and I remember sitting next to her bed and, and she had died and it, no one was looking. I remember like, like Enie, like, you know, shaking her, like I, I sort of wanted her to wake up, you know. Um, and I remember getting ordained. I wanted her to be there. When I graduated from Ridley, I wanted her to be there. And she just hasn't, you know. It's really, really tragic. But I tell you what, when we were packing up her things, my wife found her little Anglican green um, prayer book next to her bed that she used to read before going to sleep every night. Um, and it was very, very worn and everything. And that gave uh, my wife and I so much joy because we knew that we're going to be um, reunited with her in the end. And I tell you what, that is an incredibly powerful motivation and a wonderful vision to look forward to. So we have the pleasure of pleasing God with a holy and loving life. And then we also have the encouragement that one day we are going to meet face to face with the Lord and other believers. So thank God for this passage. I love it how in his special revelation, God really speaks to us, to our hopes and to our daily lives. I know we're going to have a time of prayer now, focusing on pleasing God. Thank you. Over to you.